0: Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Uh, my guest on today's podcast, joining me from his home near Bentonville, Arkansas, is my friend Braden Duncan. Welcome to the podcast, Braden.
1: Thank you, Richard. Grateful to be here.
0: Braden is one of these brave people that step forward. We've traded messages for several years, and uh, Braden feels like now is the right time to share his story. Um, even though this is kind of used to me, listeners, um, I've just sometimes struck with the moment of how brave a guest is. And we said a prayer, and I just felt overwhelmed with um, love and respect and admiration for Braden's willingness to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. And um, this is out of love to help other people that might be new on this road or other people that are trying to figure out how to support people. That are gay in LDS, um, better understand these unique roads. So a little bit more about Braden. Braden is 40. Um, he's out of the 30s. He, uh, Braden and his wife Jesse um, have four kids. I mentioned they live near Bentonville. I think they're getting a new temple. One of their kids has passed away from leukemia. Um, that's a part of their journey that's really painful and tragic. Um, Braden grew up in Midway, Utah. An area that is beautiful. He is a therapist by trade and so owns a small practice um, there and as near his nearest home in in Arkansas. Um served a mission in Washington, D.C. South, English speaking, BYU undergrad in anthropology, got a master's from the University of Arkansas in Little Rock. And um, welcome to the podcast, Braden.
1: Thank you, Richard
0: we will turn it over to you to share your story oh boy <laughs> it's happening
1: yeah 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 it's happening and maybe that's first thing i'll I'll talk about is that this has been such a long process for me to feel um able to do this to feel willing to to even understand why i'm doing this that that probably the biggest part of it um about three years ago when, um, my wife and I started actually talking about this, when I started actually, um, being, being fully vulnerable and open with her, um, I, I, I was pondering, uh, th- this question of why, why do I need to come out? I, you know, I felt kind of frustrated by the sense that that maybe I needed to and I, I I was upset by that. And in one of the <clears throat> these moments of desperation um in, in prayer, I I just kind of got a spiritual impression that um it was just kind of one of those moments when it seemed really clear. And and the message was in the kingdom of God we do not hide. Um and I didn't you know, I, I didn't presume to to know exactly what that meant, and and I don't presume to know what that means for anybody else. I just I just um, have pondered that for myself. Um, and, and and don't get me wrong, I, I think there's a difference between hiding and shame and the wise discernment of what you share and what you do not. Right. Um. However, my observation is that I, I think we all kind of have a natural bias against discomfort. And, and because it's uncomfortable to um to be exposed to something that's very different or doesn't line up with your reality or um doesn't just doesn't feel comfortable, is kind of scary, that we tend to uh I, I think I think that we might Tend to call the sharing of vulnerable experience as poor discernment. We, I think we can judge that in others pretty easily, um, because it's uncomfortable. And I I think with that that I'm learning to be a lot more cautious um, in that to ensure that that I'm not weaponizing the gospel uh, principle of discernment to defend against diversity. Um, and so that I think is is. Something that, as I have kind of been opening up myself in, in that way, um, I it's it's allowed me to actually move past the 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 automatic. No, absolutely not. <laughs> that that comes when um, when you're doing things just because they're comfortable, and you're not doing things just because they're uncomfortable and 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 likewise judging others um and and whether it's right or wrong based on
2: how comfortable it is to you to 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 think about um and and so i just ask i ask i ask you know your listeners and
1: and and our our listeners to um to trust not not just in in my Sharing of this, but in everybody's sharing of this, that um, that that they're doing everything they can to walk with God on this on this hard journey. Instead, in fact, instead of instead of deciding whether somebody should or shouldn't um, have shared something vulnerable. I think it might be better if if instead we just thank God for the information and and instead ask ask how ask him in prayer maybe how we can use this information to better minister to those around us. Um I think that's that's what he wants us to do, right? Instead of um decide for ourselves whether or not somebody should or shouldn't
2: share something. Love that. Um and another reason that I I'm doing this is because
1: I care deeply about my family. And, um, Jesse and I have a very diverse family. Um, just within our family, we have, uh, my wife is black. I am white. Our children are mixed. Um, we have, uh, uh, neurodiversities among our children we deal with uh adhd ocd and autism um and i need my children to know that they belong in the kingdom of god with their diversities and not in spite of them Wow! and that there's nothing that can separate them from the love of christ not tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, all, all the things that Paul, that Paul referenced. Death, life, angels, principalities, you know, no height, no depth, no creature. And, and I'll add, and certainly not the diversities that they live with that they didn't choose. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which I think defines the Gospel, the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, that is the gospel and and I need them to know that um, that they can bring every part of themselves to the gospel and and they can
2: they can belong and that they do belong likewise i I want to offer a hand of friendship to
1: Um, those in my community who are vulnerable who feel alone in in their struggle such as i did as a youth who
2: feel that there's nobody that that understands what they feel like um and and I, i i i i i want to be clear that i i don't
1: I don't say offer a hand of friendship as in kind of I'm I'm reaching down sort of thing. I don't I don't think that I'm um the strong and and that that I want to help the weak. I, I think it's more like um I, I read a, a great metaphor um once about, you know, you're on your mountain and I'm on my mountain, and you're climbing yours, and I'm climbing mine, and I'm not to the top of mine, but because of where I, I stand i can i can see your path um in ways that maybe you can't i can see obstacles that i can that i can guide you to or i can i can provide guidance that 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 you're just too too close to to be able to discern and likewise you can offer that to me so so i just want to be clear that i i i see myself as as one of those um who are the weak that, that we're ministering to. Um, and this is, it's interesting that, you know, I consider myself a pretty empathetic person, <laughs> um, but somehow, somehow I have had the least empathy for the people that I identify
2: most closely with in and, in, and, in, in struggle
1: makes me think about um something elder holland said recently which just paraphrasing i think was something like you know what a tragedy if if our struggles and our our challenges um don't cause us to reach out in
2: love and compassion to those who who share those same challenges and struggles um
1: i i read a Actually, a client of mine um, just yesterday shared a quote with me that I loved, that I want to share from Dr. Paul Farmer, a medical doctor and anthropologist that devoted his life to um, kind of fighting a losing battle against world health issues. And he said, "We, we want to be on the winning team, but at the risk of turning our backs on the losers, no, it is not worth it so we fight the long defeat mm. and and for me i think I, I you know personally i would say and so i share this even though i know it will make my life harder I, mm. I, it, it's it's nice it's convenient it's comfortable to to sort of be in the majority and to be in the in the in the group that um is easily accepted but i think i'm finally and i i, I wish it was a lot sooner coming to the place where it just it's not worth it to me to, to be able to do that. If that means sort of not ministering to being vulnerable with and, and reaching out to those who are, who are not on that winning team, then it's not worth it. And so I'm willing to, I'm willing to do this. And
2: um, even though I know it, it may make my life harder. You're doing great by the way. Thanks. Um, so I thought maybe I would share
1: some things that I'm I'm grateful for um, from my journey, and also some things that I I didn't get but I needed. Um, and. So you know, I'm not telling my story in a linear fashion. I hope that's okay. I'm kind of bouncing all over the place, but that's just—I guess—that's how my brain works. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that I, as I look back, I feel really grateful for is um, uh, my bishop. When I was a youth, I had a, a bishop who was just a, a good, a good soul, a gentle man, a kind compassionate person and he was the first person i i ever told about
2: um about my same-sex attraction i i think i was probably 15 or or close to that and um he 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 introduced me
1: to uh, the grace of God the mercy and love of God mm-hmm. um, and and through the kind of response that he had for me it helped me come to
2: see in my mind God as a as that kind of a person who who when I shared the most vulnerable part of me he has his arms wide open. Um, He gave me, he gave me the book, Believing
1: Christ by Stephen Robinson uh, when I was young. And I poured over that book over and over and over. Um, And I'm grateful for his deliberate efforts to, to help me uh, and to really emphasize
2: the the love and the acceptance of god that's what i needed he didn't just not react badly but
1: he did things on purpose to help me learn that i belonged he wanted to make make sure that i got the message um, he for example he would you know even though he knew i was a wreck sometimes he he'd, he'd call me and invite me to go to the temple with him And we'd we'd go to the temple, just he and I. Um, Or he he would extend a call to to lead
2: a a quorum in the presidency, to give a talk. Um, He also he
1: also um, helped me recognize that I needed to see a therapist before I ever came out to him. I he and I were, um, talking about what, what I, I later learned, uh, was OCD and, and he helped me
2: to get to a therapist. Um, and, uh, I was able to, to begin getting help
1: with that. And I I can talk more about OCD, um, here in a little bit, but it's a, it's a huge part of my story and is quite wrapped
2: up in my experience learning to cope with, deal with, wrestle with, (laughs) negotiate with my
1: um, problematic thoughts and feelings that came with uh, developing sexually in a way that was not acceptable. And I didn't understand. And and just along those same lines, I'm also grateful for, at that time, um, the message that I was getting. And I understand that this is not the message that some, even in my age group, were getting. But but the message that I got from um, our general authorities at that time was the, the differentiation between attraction and sin. And I'm grateful that that, that concept was introduced to me early. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. I I think of quotes that I read as a youth that, that,
2: uh, helped me to, um, feel okay. Um, I'm grateful for my parents, um, for not rejecting me for not kicking me out (laughs) when they. Once they knew that I was gay, um,
1: I think i could I could talk a lot more about things that that I'm grateful for, but just because of time
2: i'm gonna'm I'm gonna talk a little bit about some of the things that I needed but I didn't get um, I think the most important of these at least
1: what's most pressing on, on my mind now and most relevant in my life is uh, that I needed wise counsel about entering into a mixed orientation marriage. And
2: I did not get that. I, I I don't feel um, angry.
1: In fact, I feel grateful for, for those, uh, people and priesthood leaders, um, mentors who, who knew about, about my same-sex attraction um, when I was entering into a mixed-orientation marriage. Um, but I needed someone to kind of give me a, a, you know, shake me and wake me up
2: and say, hey, <laughs> this is a big deal. And you need to take the time that you need to take to, to enter into this wisely and to be very cautious. Um, you know, without, without
1: judging that I should have been or could have been any, any older or wiser than I was, marrying my wife without, without her knowing
2: about my sexual orientation was a serious violation of her agency and 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 took away from her the opportunity of of choosing um
1: and I I don't know what she would have chosen but but her having that agency
2: honored and knowing what she was entering into is more important than the outcome and i grieve i grieve that um she uh, you know obviously
1: i and i hope that you know if she's on this podcast that she
2: will be able to, to share honestly and vulnerably uh, what that means for her. And
1: anybody that knows my wife knows that that she will be able to do that with clarity
2: and with power. Um, and and that
1: my wife is not afraid of, unco- of, of discomfort, and I'm grateful for that in her but from my perspective um and this is a perspective that i've gained as i have um been able to sort of acknowledge the the whole story (laughs) instead of my kind of pushing away Um, Half of the experience that we were having over the last 13 years, I say the last 13, that was when I came out to her, um, over the 13 years before we started talking about it, um, that, that, you know, without being able to sort of accept this in myself, um, it necessitated a compartmentalization, a dissociation, um, whatever you want to call it. Um from
2: uh the parts of our experience that would cause a potential crisis,
1: so I would find i found ways to um deflect uh attention or um, clarity on on the reality that our my sexual orientation being different than hers was causing very serious issues in in our marriage. and And so it's sort of this process for me to kind of come to understand and accept um, what the experience really was and instead of what I was sort of telling myself um, how how I was narrating it to myself uh for her i think i think that this not knowing but but facing the the difficulties of having differing sexual orientations um, produced immense and long-lasting confusion and suffering for her that that without more vulnerable honesty for me eventually led her to Assume their feelings or assumptions were wrong or their needs were unreasonable. Um, And because I was unable to acknowledge the problem that my sexuality was in, in the marriage, or I should say the difference of the difference between um, the sexual orientations. I had, like I said, I had to deflect the cause of these things. And and many times I, I regret to say it was, it was uh, deflected onto her. Um, And so for, for 13 years, we kind of existed in this sort of pattern of, um, you know, experiencing the, the, just the inherent challenges of, of having differing sexual orientations um, that, you know, for example, you know, her maybe not feeling, just not feeling like I'm very attracted to her. Right. I mean, which which of course can be an issue in, in any marriage, but, but it's important to acknowledge that, that that's always an issue <laughs> and it's in a, and I would, I would suggest a more serious issue in a, in a mixed rotation marriage. Um, anyway, so just sort of, you know, wrestling, um, have having difficulty with, um, not aligning and then sort of, Having this maybe an argument or, or an uncomfortable um, uh discussion about about what was wrong and and then um you know usually I would eventually sort of just feel bad and promise to do better at giving her more of my attention and my my time and and um and i I was truly sincere right and 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 always am. Um, in that way. And, and then maybe that slowly fading off (laughs) because I don't have that, that natural, um, drive and, and then, you know, this pattern sort of repeating itself, um, with those painful things happening that I described earlier as a result of, of me not being
2: vulnerably honest with her completely. Does that make sense?
0: It does. I just wrote down the word brave, and this is really helpful. No one's ever talked about the counsel they wish they would have had going into a mixed orientation marriage. And that's just a, and I'll probably comment more once you're done with your story, but that's just such a helpful segment for Mm. listeners considering walking this road.
2: yeah, it's one of those hard things to understand,
1: you know, it's, um, I mean, even for myself, I'm, I just feel so grateful for my marriage. I feel so grateful for my wife and for my family. And, and somehow at the same time
2: I'm, I'm holding, um, just a a real caution, you know, for anybody else. And, And,
1: and also just trying to be really honest with the fact that, uh, if, if I had been vulnerably honest with her, we might not be married, but like I said, um, individual agency is, is
2: more important than the outcome. Um, So one last thing about what I needed but but what I didn't get is help basically uh, is is help keeping my
1: identity together right I mean you think about um I was just talking to my wife this morning about this, and she's just has a brilliant mind in um child development and human development. And she was explaining to me some of the uh you know the stages of development and whatnot. And and we were just observing that uh, you know, in in
2: a in a straight youth, as their sexual identity develops, you know, this is happening at
1: the same time as they're, you know, along the same path as as differentiating in 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 their identity and and coming to um identify as an individual and and when your sexual development is is not a problem it just naturally becomes part of that uh, that that identity that you develop that, that that differentiation that you achieve and and in somebody whose sexual orientation is not acceptable, there's a real problem there. And and I think as I look back, I I see kind of myself splitting. Um, you know, I had into kind of two identities, if you will. You know, I don't want to sound too weird about that, but but I, you know, there was the there was the 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 normal, Braden, right? That um legitimately liked fishing and (laughs) and sports and i don't want to be stereotypical either but 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 who
2: uh just i'll just say fit in pretty well um it was pretty easy for me to pass if you will pass for straight (laughs) you know um and and then there was this other part of me that that I pretty early
1: on actually um just knew was gay. I mean I didn't ever call it that because gay was dangerous, right? The the word, the concept. Um and of course I am just sort of now my opening up to the memories and and um recollections of of the slurs and 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 really painful damaging things that that i heard and and then participated in um by virtue of trying to fit in right needing to fit in and needing to push away uh what was broken in me right i can't accept brokenness in me and actually i don't mean to should be careful about that word because i'm not trying to say that my uh sexuality is is broken, but I, I guess I should maybe say what, what is unacceptable or what is what what was considered unacceptable um in in my cultural narrative. My my need to push that my inability to accept that in myself meant that I have to push it away actively um, in those around me. And so that's why you know many many gay people will say that that they were the most homophobic people they met right before they sort of came to understand themselves and accept themselves and and then
2: that that changes and i i certainly um fall into that that as well um but anyway i i somehow
1: knew right from, from a pretty early age that I I was same-sex attracted and, and I, I really, I,
2: I I talked with God about it, um, a lot. Um, I, I think that it, it was in that wrestling with this,
1: um, unsolvable problem that my OCD kind of found its way to, uh, try to help me, <laughs> you know, OCD, uh, became, it, it was functioned for me to, uh, help me achieve a sense of control over, uh, an unsolvable problem, a, um, an irreconcilable uncertainty that, that existed for my future, for, um, what these thoughts and feelings meant in uh, my life my eternal plan it's just all so confusing there was no way to make sense of it and in some ways
2: um i still have to live with that uncertainty but but ocd
1: through rituals and and um obsessive thinking that that could sort of help me neutralize the discomfort of that uncertainty in, in curious ways, it, it helped me to not have to actually deal with the crisis. (laughs) Right. So instead of actually um, reconciling with the, the, the problem of my, thoughts and feelings, I could compulsively repent. <laughs> I could say a prayer for an hour wow. as a 16 year old and repeat the same words over and over and over until they felt just right. Until I um I got that feeling that that somehow I had pleased God in in the The depth of my sincerity, or the, um, the way that it that that I said it, or the way the way that I felt about it, or the way that I was thinking when I said it—I mean, it's just this this
2: exhausting demand to feel okay about
1: the things I was experiencing that had no other way of feeling okay about. And so uh I <clears throat> that's actually um yeah that like I said I I talked with my bishop about these things and he helped me see that this was not this was not normal that God didn't didn't need me to be praying every you know sometimes two, three times a day for hours at a time.
2: Um, and so anyway, I I really I really needed help
1: in what 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 I basically what I said I want my kids to know and to learn, you know, that that you don't have to separate yourself,
2: that you can bring your whole self to 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 the gospel, to God. And and he he will help you to know how to do that authentically? I, I believe that. I I believe in the gospel. I have a testimony of of Jesus, of um, the covenant of His grace, and and I treasure that.
1: And sometimes it can be hard to to know how to fully accept yourself
2: um and to fully accept the covenant. Um,
1: but, you know, as as I think I've heard Jared Halverson say, you know, it's in the proving of, of contraries that, that the truth is made manifest. Actually I think he quotes Joseph Smith there, but but the idea that that it's as we wrestle between
2: two paradoxical ideas um, we find our way. And I'm just striving to do that. Um with God. I'm just striving to do that with the spirit, you know. And and it's it's rich. But it's hard and it's painful and it's scary. It's really scary. I
1: I suffer with a lot of anxiety. My OCD is is absolutely not you know, cured or in control. I mean, I, I just live with it. Mm. And I, and I, um, and I strive to help others live with it. That's, that's a big part of what I do as in my, in my career. And I'm thankful for that opportunity. I'm thankful for what I learned from my clients because I'm, you know, I, I, I learned from them things that, uh, answers to my prayers, in, you know, in the
2: present, what I'm struggling with. Um, so any thoughts about any of that before
1: I move on to kind of the, the last section or next section?
0: Just that it's really helpful and it's brave and you're very self-aware. And um, I do have some thoughts, but my impression is just to let you get through your whole story, Braden and I'll circle back with some thoughts.
1: Okay, how are we doing on time? Are we? are doing good. Are we...
0: <clears throat> I think our listeners would rather hear you than me, anyway. <laughs> this is—they <laughs> can hear me anytime. So keep sharing. This really <laughs> brave of you and really helpful.
2: Thanks. So I, I think I'll, I'd like to share just some things that I'm
1: learning on this on this journey that that I'm describing as rich, but. Um, extraordinarily difficult and sometimes excruciatingly painful
2: and 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 usually to some degree scary um and
1: and I as I thought about that I, I thought I think I would I would summarize um my my jo- my journey as a, I'm I'm just on a really long journey just seeking the love of God I, I just um I just won't quit until i I get i get all of it until i am able to receive
2: all of it i used to think that that his love was the destination
1: um like like in lehi's dream you know it's sort of at the end but i think i'm very slowly learning that the destination is actually him I mean, him, him, himself, his person,
2: his being, and and that his love can 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 be with me
1: uh, all along the way. Right, I can love somebody without being in their presence. He can love me without being in, without my being in his
2: presence. So, so yes, my my embracing him. Um, you know, that, that moment and that day when, when I, when I, when I feel his arms around me, you know, um, when I feel the touch of his skin, when I'm in his actual presence, that's
1: the destination. His love is not the destination. His love, well, certainly it is because it's you know it is him. But but my point is is that his love is the grace by which I'm going to get there. It, it's the grace to by which I'm going to get to the destination, which is him. And I'm learning that I I can't delay receiving that until. Until I'm there, I mean, I just won't get there. There's, it'll be impossible. I used to think that I didn't, I didn't have that grace until I proved myself. But, but now I, I know that it's, it actually is by that grace that I even can prove myself. You, you know, you remember from the from the scriptures, we love him because he first loved us, which, which is not. We love him because he loved us after we got on his good
2: side. Wow.
1: <laughs> right? And if we love him by keeping his commandments, and if we remember him, as the sacrament prayers say, by keeping his commandments, then our capacity to keep his commandments is actually
2: secondary to the fact that he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. So the idea of, of,
1: of waiting until we are um, worthy to receive his love is putting the cart before the horse. Even though the scriptures are clear that, that even after all that we can do, it is still only by his grace that we're saved. We can go for years, decades, even an entire lifetime, never picking the fruit of his love that grows on the trees all around us. Because we're obsessed with the destination. Or maybe it's that we don't believe we deserve his love until we're far enough along the path. Or we look or sound or feel like we think we ought to while we're on the path. This was the biggest barrier in my recovery from pornography use. That that I was exposed to um, at a very early age. Uh, I, I think my first exposure to pornography was in third grade, if
2: I recall. Um, and and um, as I wrestled with that in
1: my teen and young adult years, I I think that was my biggest barrier was was not allowing myself to receive. His grace, his love, before I felt like I deserved it.
2: Hmm. Instead of letting his grace, his undeserved forgiveness, right? I mean,
1: uh, mercy is by definition undeserved. Instead of letting that buoy me up and fuel my journey with wonder, with awe, with gratitude. Instead, I gritted my teeth and I hated my past and I let the fear of hell drive me further down the path. But it, ultimately, it didn't work. It wasn't that, that that helps me to be free from the chains of that habit. It was only when I relented, when I gave up, I yielded to the radical and seemingly irrational notion that whether I did it or not, he was still going to love me. And when I took that risk, I was introduced to somebody who had a passionate love for me. And that was somebody that I could trust completely. And when I realized that I could trust him completely, I was willing to put into his hands the longings of my heart and the needs of my body. I was willing to give that to him. And and it didn't happen until I that that willingness to do that didn't happen until I I understood that that he loved me passionately
2: that he loved me um, no matter what I did. And I think this is
1: you know the kind of relationship that you know I think of the widow of Zarephath in, in the Bible.
2: Um, you know, asked to give her last meal and oil,
1: you know, basically this makes no sense, right? This makes no sense unless I really trust that you have the power to meet my needs. And so and so only then can we feel safe enough to go without, to, to really let ourselves go without the, the, the needs and, and the longings that we don't believe we can go without. And until we get to that point, we're not gonna do it. We're we're gonna keep making sure that those needs and those longings get met. It's just a miracle. It requires a miracle. And and so that's that's why, you know, that's why we just have to fall down and 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 say, Oh Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy. You know, and here's the magic. I feel so much more motivated to do hard things for somebody that gives me more grace than I think I deserve Mm.
2: than I do for somebody that I simply owe a debt to. Mm. You would do that for me. But wait, but,
1: but, but do you know about this or (laughs) you you must be misreading? You must be misreading how pure my heart is. You know, you don't know about these thoughts that I have, or you don't know about the,
2: the ambivalence or the conflict inside to to for somebody that
1: that I that I that I think of like that that w- that would do that for me that that loves me and good, would give me more grace than I deserve
2: I will move heaven and earth for that person I will do, I will do anything it, it's so much more motivating to me
1: and so with that gift of of his grace of his of of the knowledge of him and his love i am endowed with power and my agency is supercharged and with that power i am enabled to do things that i otherwise just would not be able to do on my own which as we know in the bible dictionary is the definition of grace That is why grace is not a backup plan. It is the plan. Because the chasm that you're going to have to cross, everybody, right? It seems really clear for people like me in my situation, but but for everybody, the chasm that you're going to have to cross, you're just not going to be able to do it unless you have this kind of power that comes from receiving that endowment of His love and His
2: grace. And that endowment comes directly from the hand of God to you. And so, yes, it's vital that we don't um, adulterate in our minds the truth that we love
1: him because he first loved us. Uh, Doing that will, will cause us to resist our only
2: hope, which doesn't make any sense.
1: I'm also coming to trust that God can take anything that I bring to him in whatever state that that thing is in and return to me healing and peace and grace. I wish I could say that I've always brought him obedience. (laughs) I wish I could say I've always brought him, um, you know, this flawless crystal vase that I've, I've carefully and perfectly designed and lined with gold. (laughs) But the truth is, is that the, the, that usually what I bring him is broken. It's, it's been used when it shouldn't have been. It's, it's something I could have taken more time on, but I didn't. Um, I mean, the truth is, is I really could have done better. But what I'm learning about God is that he can receive whatever we give him, and, and he can do wonders with it. And, and that reality is just wearing me down. I mean, it's wearing down my resistance to his grace, and I'm thankful for that and as my resistance is breaking down i'm learning that he cares about me a lot more than that vase that i give him whether it's ideal or whether it could could really could have been a lot better i think what he really wants can be given to him in any condition at any point no matter where it was or what it was used for before it got to him i think what he really wants is that choice that we make it's the choice whether it's in wisdom from the beginning or in desperation after a lifetime of foolishness, the choice to turn to him, that choice is so valuable to him, I believe, that no matter what condition it is in, when we give it to him, he receives the same. You know, I think of the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Each worker, whether they worked an hour at the end of the day or whether they worked from sunup to sundown, was rewarded the same. And I think it wasn't their labor that he was rewarding them for. It was their choice to hear his call. When and in what attitude each of them made that choice may have differed, but every one of them made the choice. Imagine being separated from your mother at birth. I was thinking about this, this, this metaphor recently. Um, imagine being separated from your mother at birth and you have no memory or, or photo to know even what she looks like. And then later in life, some distant family member finds you and gives you a photo of your mother who you've never seen before. All right. Imagine that in, in this moment when you're about to receive this. Do you care even a little bit that this photo is dusty or creased or even torn in half? (laughs) Not even a little bit. You treasure it. And the condition of it is completely irrelevant. And if you think about how precious this moment is to be given this photo, imagine how much more precious the day when you actually get to see her in real life and you get to bury your face into her holding her tight. I think of this as the way that God Uh, How how God treasures that choice,
2: that 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 choice to turn um, and 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 begin walking towards Him. Um, And I have one more thing. uh, If if I could, if if I had time,
0: please go for it.
2: Um, I I am just learning to. Strip away
1: um, any demands that my faith makes on God, except for two. I've recently decided I have two demands that my faith uh, that that I'm not willing to let go of and And the first is that when when I die and when I stand before God, that Jesus is standing next to me, and I hear him say, Father, behold the suffering of him who did no
2: sin. You know, behold my servant braden A- and that he 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 is with me in that moment that is 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 the first thing that I expect of my faith um, and and the second is that. I will be raised up, as he did in the resurrection, and my family. And I'm not there
1: yet, but but I I am trying to strip away everything else. Um. And I wish I could say that that's that's because I want to, <laughs> but
2: you know, a big part of this is um, when our second son ben um
1: he he got he got leukemia acute myeloid leukemia along with a a genetic variation that that made it extremely difficult to treat um i'm i'm feeling anxious about the time but if you're okay i'm just going to tell this story and then if we need to edit you know okay
0: let's hear about ben
1: <clears throat> um so, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I could probably stop there, right, and just say that that a
2: child suffering and a child dying, um, you know, that doesn't happen without a lot of prayers, right? It doesn't happen with a lot of faith of people who are just pleading for that not to happen. <clears throat> And, and then
1: after so much of that, right, we fought for nine months, um, in very intensive treatment, many, many days, many, many nights, over a hundred,
2: um, in, in the ICU, in, in the hospital, um, With, you know, our entire stake fasting, my wife and I just just giving everything we had, and um, being given blessings, being uh, being given, um,
1: you know, well intentioned family members and loved ones. Um, it, you know expressing spiritual impressions that they had <laughs> about ben and 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 his future and what he needed to be healing and just in spite of all of these things um
2: i had I had to carry that that boy to a, a van in the basement where they took him away, a bag Wow. um and there's a uh something that happens And, you know when
1: you go through that it you have to learn to hold your faith in a new way it, to hold on to it there has to be some serious excavation
2: to to make room for um For the reality of what shouldn't have happened. Um, this is a very painful story and
1: also a, a joyful one. My we just you know, it's so the love and mercy of our nurses and doctors. We named our
2: our daughter. Um, after our oncologist, <laughs> after Ben's oncologist, his name was Amir. Her middle name is Amira. Um. But, but it's just it's
1: just a tragedy, and 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 our family has borne a great burden and continues to
2: to to bear it. The kids do. We do. It affects every every part of our life. And it just shouldn't have happened and I'm okay saying that i don't I don't have to say that God meant for this to happen. I don't believe that he did. I don't believe
1: that that God gave him cancer. I don't believe God gives um, a child an abusive experience, right uh, and you know, in other cases, I don't believe that he gives us
2: our afflictions. I think that. I think he's there to help us as we go through them. And I don't have to say that he, he caused it. In fact, I
1: prefer to see him as, as my friend and my support through it instead of
2: the one who has sort of um, up there deciding exactly what happens. And, you know, when I started seeing him that way, not not as sort of this this person
1: um deciding exactly what happens in my life. And instead just seeing him as, you know what, things are gonna happen that that he didn't he didn't choose to happen for for me or for my kids. But he can take it. He can take anything that I give him, and he can make wonders of it. I like, I like to think about God as as somebody who um in fact it, it, for me it it empowers my concept of him it gives him more power to think of god as as someone so powerful that he can take anything even even accidents that never should have happened he can take anything that we give him and he can turn it for for eternal good he can he can do wonders with it he doesn't I, I personally think that gives that that gives him more power in my mind than than seeing him as somebody that that only has power because he he makes sure that nothing bad happens or nothing happens the way that it shouldn't. No, no, I see him as as someone much more powerful than that, that can deal with with uncertainties and 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 problems that come along the way that shouldn't have shouldn't have happened. And I think of of, of that is even more powerful um part of the painful another painful reality of of Ben's story is that uh he he went into remission and and he um i won't I won't go into too much detail but he, we had a we had set up um a bone marrow transplant for him he had two donors that that had been identified and were willing to, to donate. Um, and,
2: and unfortunately, um, we didn't get to do that because, uh, because one of, one of the critical
1: imaging tests that, that they do before they administer a, an, another round of chemo, got missed right and this this imaging test was was to um to make sure that the, the 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 chemo hadn't hadn't damaged his heart because if it had then then we didn't want to keep giving him that chemo right and we needed to to think of a different way or find a different route or slow it down or something like that um
2: but that just got missed wow. got done but it didn't get reviewed it didn't get dealt with and uh and so he was pumped with more of that. And
1: um, and he ended up in catastrophic congestive heart failure um, mm-hmm. and in the cardiovascular ICU where he was no longer eligible for a bone marrow transplant. In fact, we were looking at
2: trying to find him a heart transplant. Um, and uh, it just shouldn't have happened, right? And and my faith has to be able to take that in. It has to be able to accept that. And that's not easy. So these are some things that I've
1: I've learned. Um, and I don't know if you have any thoughts or questions about any of that. It was a lot. And I thank you for your patience and hearing it all.
0: Oh, Braden. This is the platform where. Um, just brave people share their stories, and um, anything I say is just, I, I worry sometimes that I take away from the spirit or the insights, the things you shared. But listeners, these are the things, I wrote down seven or eight things. Um, first, I love your bishop um, in that beautiful Wasatch Valley of Midway, Heber City, who intuitively thought one of the best things I can do, and this is maybe a theme of my comments, is what you said about your own story scales to all of us as Latter-day Saints and even all of us as the same human family. He taught you about the character of God (laughs) and that God loves you and he accepts you. And instead of, it's just a wonderful thing that he turned to, um, and that's been so much a part of your journey, um, and that he also recognized you needed therapy for OCD. Um, I loved your the counsel you didn't get. So you, it's interesting, listeners. Most podcast guests actually have positive experiences with their bishops, even though sometimes we highlight the negative experiences, and those happen. And maybe. Some of those are my own YSAs that didn't have a very good experience with me. But anyway, um, I love your love for this bishop. I love where you wish you had received some counsel that didn't come your way and really wasn't readily available in the church. I think the counsel perhaps when you were getting married is just get married, and this will all resolve itself getting married. Uh, Maybe nothing was said, but I thought it was really— you said some phrases here. You have a gift of phrases that I wrote down a bunch, and I think our listeners may have wrote down things. I, I It was a violation of her agency um, that you were not open about your sexual orientation. And I think there's a great deal of empathy in that, um, but also pain that you were kind of taught not to be open. And then you recognize later on that that was a violation of her agency. And You're not sure what she would have chose. And here you are in this marriage now, both working to make it work. um, And I wrote down better information equals better revelation, which is, I think, something President Nelson teaches. So there's a gift you've given to others that are considering a mixed orientation marriage to be open about that. Um, That may still lead listeners for people to walk into a mixed orientation marriage. We've done a lot of podcasts with people that we're open in the dating process and receive the counsel you didn't get. And maybe that counsel is more readily available today and people listening to this podcast or local leaders listening to your story or that want to do the right thing are saying, okay, I just learned something that I can help somebody that opens up to me. So you still may get revelation to be married in a mixed orientation marriage listeners. I've, I think it's better when people self-determine everything's sort of out on the table just as Braden's invited us to do. And I wrote about that in the first book. I I also thought all mixed orientation marriages failed listeners. And in a rebuke of the spirit, I've learned that they don't. And um, these are beautiful, authentic love stories. Um, I loved um, you may be one of the most self-aware guests I've ever had. And I've thought as you've been talking, um, If that's partly because you're a therapist, partly because you're walking this road, partly because you're just so brave and self-aware, but you're connecting the dots with OCD and wanting that to be in control where you couldn't be in control of your sexual orientation, your thoughts and your feelings. And just remarkable work to connect the dots of OCD and sort of what's at the bottom of the iceberg at that and. And how you couldn't at that point address the bottom of the iceberg, <laughs> your sexual orientation. So you're working through OCD, and but I think that will resonate with other listeners in a really healthy way. I love your kind comments about your wife Jesse. Um, multiple times, and we have Jesse listeners lined up to be a guest on the podcast in a while. Um, but this is—I
1: want to say that just yeah, um, our story cannot and should not be understood um through this podcast right i mean i mean not that not that somebody is interested just in our story but i'm just saying that our story could not be understood without without her reality which which is painful it will be uncomfortable to to acknowledge that um and and that's okay
0: and uh... I think that's a healthy way to look at this. Um, The next point I wrote down is: this is, I think, one of the gifts of your story. Is this is what scales to our whole faith community? Is your insights about God, the character of God, and His love for all of His children? This isn't theoretical for you, Braden. You're not teaching this from a theoretical academic. I'm reading talks and sort of regurgitating content of talks, which is good, listeners. I'm not saying that's not good. You are teaching this because you're walking this road, and it's real to you. And when you talk about undeserved forgiveness and and love and to trust God completely, and he loves me passionately, you wrote down, there's so many phrases you wrote down to talk about God's love for all of us and how that's not a transaction that's there. That is a gift. To every listener, straight or non-straight, in the church, out of the church. Um, it, and it's part of your mortal mission. I, you know, when you talk about the character of God, you do that in such a remarkable way. And so this is a story about a gay Latter-day Saint. That's true. But there's a there's a story in here about learning the character of God. Spencer Thompson, who just became, you know, is retired if that's the right word is the north star president gave one of the best talks about the character of god um that i've ever heard um he's in a mixed orientation marriage we've had him on the podcast but you taught me some things that were just really helpful here and there'll be people that will re-listen to that segment of the podcast um because the god you described is the god i believe in Mm -hmm. and um, that was so well done and then you shifted to Ben, who's gone. Mm-hmm. And you talked about I had to hold on my faith in a whole new way. I think Jared Halverson talks about deconstruction and reconstruction and, yeah. and how this faith that if you know things work out usually for families with Ben. Um most kids with leukemia, I think, survive and they get, you know, the things that didn't happen for Ben if I've got and it sounded like for an, and here you've got all these people praying, you and your wife, and a stake, and everything mm-hmm. we know how to do as a faith community, and you know how to do from a spiritual standpoint, from a medical standpoint. You're doing, and you still lost Ben. Yeah. And but that segment, you know, my faith has to be able to accept this—that in this incredibly wounding mortality, that God has the ability to save Ben. <laughs> um. That Ben is not here with you, and some would say he's in a better place. But I, I don't know if we get Ben on the podcast. He may say I'd rather be with my family. I agree. Yeah. I yeah, I'm with.
1: He, he, he did say he was very excited to meet the Holy Ghost um, <laughs> <laughs> when when Make a Wish came and interviewed him because they they uh, they offered him a a special a special trip. Um, but when they came in and interviewed him, um, one of the people that he said he he wanted to meet was um, was the Holy Ghost, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I know he's grateful for that, but but you're right. I, I think I think he would rather be here and 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 we would rather him be here.
0: Absolutely. and So I'm sorry he's gone, and I love the work you've done it's also a gift for podcast listeners and everybody that's within your voice is this idea of building faith in a new way it's a it's a more it's a less brittle way it's a more stable way it's a more complex way it's um, a work in process to get there um, but the way you've described that is helpful for people that um, really difficult things happen where prayers aren't answered um, we talk about that affair uh, in this new book that I've mentioned a little bit listeners book number three about calling the calling it's called building the good ship Zion will be out in September. We have a chapter on, um, helping those dealing with death. And I think we mm. can do better in our faith community about supporting people. Um, and I'll, and your story is helpful, but, um, so
1: um, yeah if i if i may just say one thing please. about that um you know it's it's just the reality that uh yeah. the message sent to many grieving people is you know you, you just shouldn't struggle this long or 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 your your struggle is um you wouldn't struggle if your faith was strong enough or you had a a, a, a an eternal perspective all of which really just adds to your platitudes that that are comforting to the person saying it and and completely unhelpful um and and even hurtful to those who
2: who who hear it equally equally difficult is um the the
1: reality that that frequently we are being confronted with stories and testimonies and, and, and whatnot about how, because of my faith, this good thing happened in my life, right? Because of my faith in the spirit, um, I avoided this tragedy. And, and, and so, you know, there's, there's really no, you know, I, I, and I don't, I don't mean any ill will about, about that. somebody saying that. I just I just think the reality is that that the implication there that's impossible to to deny is that anybody who has experienced something that um you know we talk about the spirit usually helping us avoid or say rescuing us from is kind of left wondering if 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 I wasn't faithful enough or I didn't listen. You know, what prompting of the spirit didn't I listen to? Um, and that's, that's just, yeah, we, we've we got to do better.
0: Yeah. And that's been a blind spot for me, listeners. We um, haven't walked this road as parents and I would be the one to say these platitudes and sort of keeps me emotionally safe and I can move on. And um, just to your point, it doesn't allow me to address the complexity of your situation. And Culturally, because you said this better, and I'll say it right now, culturally, because we have an understanding as Latter-day Saints as the plan of salvation, and we know where Ben is, sometimes we create a culture that really faithful Latter-day Saints mourn, and then just move on. And we sometimes even share stories of faithful Latter-day Saints that kind of move on because of their understanding of the plan of salvation, but what... Braden's inviting us to do is to do both. We can have an understanding of the plan of salvation and know where Ben is and grieve our entire life mm. that this kid is gone. Amen. And your family will never be the same. And, never. And so we, as Latter-day Saints, we need to sit with, you know, bear, mourn, and comfort for the rest of your life and continue to ask you about Ben mm. and use his name Thank and you. remind him and most, you're a therapist, but my experience is most people with a person that knows they're coming a position of love want to continue to talk about their loved ones that have died and mm. keep their memory alive. Um, so anyway, we have a bunch of people. You would be a good one if I had known of this story at the time to contribute. But that book will be out and, and we have a bunch of people um, that have, you know, share their experience just like Braden is losing a loved one and what we can do better as a faith community. Um, to support them. And these are the things I wish made it into release Society lessons and Elders Quorum lessons under the come follow me, come follow me, and learn how to help people that are dealing with just sort of unimaginable grief. And therapists may learn this along their way, and some of us may intuitively, but it's just an area where I wish I'd had more training um, as a Latter-day Saint. Uh, I loved, I skipped this one, I'm going back to the very first thing. It's, what, it's one of the reasons you want to be open about your sexual orientation is you want to lead by example in your own family that's full of diversity. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. want, out of, this is all out of love. I want my kids who are, you know, diverse, probably, and probably all families to some extent are diverse, um, that they want, you want them to know they belong in the kingdom of God. Because dad is diverse. He is a sexual minority. (laughs) Um, And you knew that early on. Um, Even though you could pass, you knew that about you. And so I think that's really important principle for all of us as Latter day Saints is um, if we're part, is to be open and vulnerable, just like Braden's role modeling here in appropriate situations about being a minority or working through things, because I think it makes you a safe person. I think it's part of creating Zion, this beautiful, diverse Zion that you're modeling in your own family. We can model in our faith community, and it makes us stronger um, to be unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ and take all of our differences. And there's a scripture in Nephi about knitting knitting together, knit our hearts are knit together. That's better paraphrasing. But when I think of that, I don't think of, all that yarn and different fabric coming together is the same. I think it is all this very different fabric, different color, and all that unit and the unity that creates in all those differences. That's just some visual imagery. I'm gonna send it and, back and to you. Something, but, but keep yeah.
1: I was just gonna say and and definitely something that we're striving for, right? I, I certainly wouldn't describe um our family using the word Zion. <laughs> but we are but we certainly are 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 diverse and we're certainly striving to um to learn to accept each other and, and I agree that that there is strength in that. Um in fact, I, I don't I don't think that that it's possible to accomplish the gathering of Israel, right? The gathering of all of God's children. Um and, and unless we really uh, can embrace that, you know, Un- unless we can, like Elder Suarez taught with the metaphor of the two rivers, right, until we can not see it as we're trying to bring these people into our river, but rather we see it as our river and their river are coming together, and we're creating a whole new river together. I mean it's it's a completely new creature. Um, and that can only happen with all it depends on everybody. It doesn't doesn't depend on on one person becoming more like the other, but rather both people entirely respecting um, in a purely
2: mutual way each other and becoming something new. Love that. Any final thoughts you'd like to share? Oh, um, I think I've probably said too
1: much. so, no, I, I don't think so. I'm just grateful for the time you've taken with me, Richard.
0: Well, there's a bunch of listeners that would love to reach out, however they're listening, and just give you a big hug. Mm, for, thank you. Um, the principles you shared and the insights you shared and the the character of God you helped us all better understand, this God that brings peace, healing, and grace. Um the God that heals our wounded hearts. Um, your courage to share your story as a gay Latter-day Saint and the realities of your lives. You're, you know, I use this quote a lot, listeners, the wounded healer. A minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he or she speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led out of a desert by someone who's never been there. Mm. But in this podcast and in your your clinical work and in your pastoral work and your church work and your family work, you're, you're the wounded healer. Um, this is not theoretical Mm -hmm. to you, this life in the desert, you know, this, and you've helped a lot of people being on this podcast and just other places that you serve. So Brayden Duncan, thank you. We know you're not perfect. I know you're nervous about perhaps me being complimentary of you, but it's true. And, um, And who you are and the work you're doing and the lives you're blessing by being authentic and reducing shame about who you are and is so helpful and so needed. So thank you from all of our listeners. Um, This is Richard Osler and Braden Duncan signing off another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.